Hello, I'm Nathaniel, and welcome to The Descent into Illumination. I have achieved a great deal. What up, y'all? It's your boy Nathaniel here, of course, coming back at you with a whole new podcast. So today, you know, last night we, we actually we spoke about uh, addiction, so I feel like the next natural thing, obviously, is to talk about uh, recovery. But before we get into that, I really um, want to thank again BAMF Radio. He's the music provider for this podcast, these soothing undertones that you hear underneath the podcast itself. Uh, thank you again, man. Appreciate all the work you're doing, and I will continue to support your music however I can. So I guess, you know, as always, I'll just go ahead and dive right in and figure out what it means to be in recovery. So, right. First of all, recovery is a process of change through which an individual achieves abstinence and improved health and wellness and quality of life. Now, um, I first want to highlight here that, first of all, not all forms of recovery uh, are potentially... um, abstinence space there is especially when you get into non-traditional forms of recovery such as eating disorders and um even you know drug and alcohol addiction in my case i personally work a traditional 12-step program and i have maintained an abstinence for a little over four years now it's a few 24 hours <laughs> to say the least um i wonder how many 24 hours that is if anyone wants to do the math you're more than welcome to I personally have no idea how many 24 hours that is, but, you know, hey, whatever. Um, and, you know, again, my primary drug of choice was methamphetamine. I also like marijuana, did opiates, did all the good stuff, though. So there are many different phases when it comes to recovery. First of all, in my case, it's really simple to um, have the physical level of sobriety. You know, it's really easy to tell either I'm fucked up on um, drugs and al- or alcohol or substances or I'm not, you know. So there's that basic line. Um sobriety right there you know am i doing substances or not but then there's this whole other element um of emotional sobriety and you know um as i talked about in the last episode there's a myriad of different reasons why someone might be doing drugs or abusing them or behaviors or anything like that and for any of those different reasons that someone might be doing any of those behaviors um Ultimately, one of the commonalities is you have you get into is because you like the effects it does to your body and gives you this either sense of relief or whatever it might be. Um, and in my case and everything like that, one of the biggest things that I can do in my sobriety is learn how to love myself. And that's what recovery really does mean, for me at least. I always struggled, and I still to this day in some way, shape, or form really do struggle with the sense of self-worth. Um, that is one of my biggest struggles I've um, found in my life whether I don't feel like I'm worthy of having a happy, healthy relationship, um, whether I'm worthy of even going to my job, or if I'm worthy of even having this podcast, or if I'm worthy of, you know, being sober. You know, am I worthy of uh, basic human decency? And uh, for the longest time, I didn't think it was. You know, that was primarily my active addiction. Um, I deserved everything that came to me. I couldn't understand why I couldn't be uh, get fucked up and get high all the time. Or all these other things, you know, I was always a perennial victim of life and circumstances of life. So, in my sobriety, in my recovery, one of the biggest things that I've started to learn how to do is understand that I do have some semblance of self-worth. And even in my early recovery, I really didn't understand this. It wasn't until about my three, three and a half year mark in my recovery 
that did I really learn why I should make my bed every day. This was actually a really important thing in my recovery. This is a little bit about the after I got on um, uh, some medication to deal with some intrusive thoughts that I was having really big difficulties with. First of all, I always want to say that if you're struggling with any form of mental illness, go to therapy, get the help you deserve, get counseling, potentially get on um, medication if that's what you need. Um, so I actually had the wherewithal to realize, oh shit, I need help. Maybe I actually just deserve, deserve not to have these fucking crazy thoughts going on in my head. But well, about this three and a half year mark is when I decided to start making my bed every day, actually. I actually picked this habit up out of uh, a toxic relationship that I had with an ex-girlfriend. Um, and, you know, I was living with her and everything like that. And one of the responsibilities I had was making bed every day. And it's when I moved back home and everything like that after the breakup, it's something that I keep kept on doing. And it does something that's actually really kind of cool. Um, just simply making my bed every day really helps my sense of self-worth. And I'll explain why here. It does really three things. The first thing that it did for me, at least, was at least I've done one thing that day. I wake up in the morning. The first thing I do after, you know, if I shower, brush my teeth or anything, so maybe not the first thing I do, but um, one of the first things I do is before any time before I go out and about is I make my bed. So I've accomplished one thing. It doesn't matter if through the rest of the day I have at least done one thing. I can fail all tests. I can you know, get fired from my job, I can, you know, have in a relationship end, I can, you know, feel like it's complete worthless piece of shit, right? But at least I've done one thing, I made my bed. And someone who struggles so mightily with a sense of ever uh, feeling that they've never done enough or that they're worth having any enjoyment in life or anything like this, the sense of accomplishment of at least doing one thing can really be the difference maker sometimes I found you know in days where you know my anxiety or my mental processes get the best of me I can always come back well at least I fucking can make my bed this morning and that can be a really rewarding thing actually and really can keep me taking that next step um, and that's really important in my recovery actually and so there's the first thing right then and there is I have at least on one thing right I made my bed the next thing that I have uh, done for myself is I've done a sense of self-care actually now, I am someone who is self-proclaimed a little bougie, actually. I do like some of the nicer elements of life. And one of the nicest things in life that I've ever come to imagine is actually having a made bed to come home to and slip underneath the covers and not have to worry about all that. And, you know, it does that weird thing where, like, the, uh, the temperature of the bed is, like, evenly distributed and it's nice and cool and it's, well, it's so refreshing instead of being, like, all stockpiled in here. Like, actually, right now, I was laying in my bed just a moment ago. So it's actually all now kind of, as I'm looking over to it, conjoined together. And I know for a fact that as soon as I lay down that part, that part's going to be hotter. So I'm not perfect still by any means, but but I know after a long day of busting ass or doing going to work or working out or dealing with just life, right? I can come home to something that I've already accomplished and lay down in something that gives me a little bit of comfort. So now I've accomplished also self-care. I've given myself something that shows that I'm worth enjoying life instead of I don't have to go back into something that's in disorganized mess and uncomfortable and not something I want to deal with. No, I get to go home to something now that I'm looking forward to and can relax in and it can be in my safe space, my comfort zone, or anything like that, you know? And 
that's really important too, actually. You know, sometimes when you have a really fucking hard day, just to be able to come home and lay down in comfort is so rewarding. And it's even more rewarding, honestly, the fact that I know I fucking did this. I accomplished this. This is something I did for me today. I made sure that I was cared for and I was okay. Um, and that's, again, really important in my recovery. And then the, the third thing that this thing is, is kind of a combination of the first two. When I've done something, now I've, I've actually done something too. I have um, done some self-care. And to me, that looks like a lot of accountability. That means I've maintained a responsibility that I have set down for myself and have been able to take care of. And that comes in the sense of I'm actually doing the action and then the mindfulness of self-care at the same time creates this sense of accountability that I am at least moving forward or I'm at least maintaining where I need to be and have accomplished what I needed to accomplish. And I personally credit accountability as the bedrock of what got me sober. Um, I was orig- I never went to rehab or anything like that. I lived in a sober living. And in the sober living, um, they had to make their bed every day. And that was a big thing of it. And I fought it tooth and nail. I hate it. I hate it when people have to tell me to do things. I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm going to go do my own thing. So in sober living, you know, there was this habit that they tried to instill in me that I, I didn't pick up on. But being accountable, not being able to do drugs and like, you know, being drug tested, getting the trust back from the family and the friends, learning how to do the respect, going through the steps and, um, and, um, learning what it means to be accountable to someone else. I learned what it's like to be accountable to myself eventually in that process. You know, you know, same thing with your job. You got to show up to your job and you got to do your work or there's going to be consequences. It's the same thing and very much so in sober living. You know, I can't go, I have to make curfew. I have to be able to do my chores. I have to be able to pay rent. I have to do all these things or I have to be an accountable person again for the first time in my life where I didn't have a lot of accountability for a long time in my active addiction. So I instilled the sense of accountability to other people. And then eventually morphed into, you know, I had to go back to school and I had to be accountable to myself and everything like that. And that's a, a really good example is just simply making my bed. Is, is I'm not accountable to anyone else in the world for it. I don't have to do it for a group partner. You know, I don't have to do it for the president of the United States or anything like that. Um, no, there's no one else I have to do it for. I do it for me. That self-accountability that I have gone out and I've done this and checked this off my daily list is... Again, that just the bedrock of my recovery, you know, you know, it really is. But recovery is so much more than just these few little tools, you know, that we do. You know, recovery, like I said earlier, has given me, you know, I don't want to say the cliche or anything like that, but it's given me a chance to live. And I want to take a chance to explain that. I don't think I was close to death, my active addiction by any means. Maybe by suicide? You know, there was definitely a few moments from, I definitely, you know, attempted suicide a few times there. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to live anymore, so let's see if I can overdose. Um, so the, 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 eventually that probably would have um, been successful in my attempts, but I, I wasn't living life at that point in my active addiction. I was existing. You know, I was trying to make that basic need for survival by always having my substance of choice and just trying to exist and figure out what it means to live a spiritual experience. You know, luckily meth is, you know, you stay awake nonstop for hours and hours and days and days and going into weeks. You know, you can get pretty out of your mind. And it's a spiritual experience, I'll tell you that much. But I don't recommend it to anyone. It's a very uh, deprived and deranged spiritual experience. You know, so... 
what recovery was able to do for me was start giving me the tools and, you know, through accountability, self-discipline, support network, all these different things to actually be able to live life in the society as a functioning member of this world and actually learn how to be a functioning human. You know, there's not any book that tells you, oh, this is how you're supposed to be a human. No one's given that book when they turn 18 or however old in a certain culture someone is considered an adult. You know, and the good thing about during my adolescence, I abused the fuck out of myself with um, self-harm and drugs where I really did a number on my brain and neurological pathways and really wasn't able understanding to understand how to be a functioning human. You know, I didn't have anyone who trusted me. You know, that basic level of human social connectivity. If you don't have any trust, you don't have any connectivity. So... One of the most important things I was able to do in my early recovery was start getting people to trust me again, you know, and that was just simply by doing work, staying sober, going to work, you know, and not being an asshole, not stealing things from people. Um, but it did more than just start having trust people. Once you start trusting people and you start doing these actions and you start working a program of recovery, um, you start inherently um, working on yourself. Um, I hated myself when I was in... Uh, when I first got sober, I would never admit that I hated myself, but I hated myself. I did not like who I was as a person. And to be honest with you, some days I really still struggle with who I am as a person, you know. I was weird, though. It's a weird dichotomy because I was the only thing really pushing myself forward in my active addiction. That and my higher power of my understanding, which I'll get into probably in some other point in this series, but... I'm not sure. I really didn't like who I was as a person, you know? No one wanted anything to do with me, and I hated that feeling. I hated that feeling of isolation and being alone. And I would struggle with it, you know, at least until the rest of my life so far. What recovery gave me the chance to do was start actually looking at myself through unobscured lenses. I wasn't looking at myself through these distorted lenses that the drugs, the alcohol, the self-harm behaviors, and all that stuff gave me. I was looking at myself for who I was. And luckily I had someone to guide me at that time. I had someone who was willing to take me through so I could learn who the hell Nathaniel was. It turned out like, you know, there's a few behaviors that I wanted to keep over for the most part of my active addiction beforehand. I was a, I believed in people. I believed in people's basic agency. Well, I, you know, didn't really, I, don't, I didn't have a lot of resentments. There was a few, sure. But there's not a lot of people I had harm to. I didn't have a huge amends list in my recovery. So I guess I'm a pretty, I was, even though I was sick and hurt, I wasn't horrible. Okay, that's something to work with there. You know, I like my eyes, you know, keep it on a surface level feature. I appreciate my eyes. I think I had a good smile. I thought I generally cared about other people in the human race. By these little few little things, right? These little small insignificant factors to anyone else I was able to grasp onto and hold onto for dear life and be like, huh, maybe it's not all bad. Maybe there's some part of me that's worth more than just a small piece of shit. That was kind of a, that was a, I wouldn't say it was liberating, but it was a breath of fresh air. It was definitely a breath of fresh air. When I first experienced that realization, I'm like, oh, I'm not a horrible, entirely person. So, what do you do next then, right? Well, I started, you know, working uh, a spiritual program and my understanding of a spiritual program. 
you know, like I said, I'll get into what my higher power is on another date. There's no point in it, but, you know, for lack of better terms, I'll just call it the universe for now. So I started really trusting the universe, you know, and everything like that. I started looking at myself and started looking at the, uh, the parts of myself I didn't like, too. You know, I didn't like the fact that I wasn't trustworthy. I didn't like the fact that it was almost incapable for me to be honest about how I felt. I didn't like how I wasn't able to understand and process my emotions. I didn't like the fact that I never felt like I was worth anything. I didn't like the fact that no matter what kindness or what beauty was around me, it was never enough. No matter what I did, no matter what happened, no matter who did what, it was never enough. It was always fleeting. It was always dissatisfying. And it always left a sense of hurt. He hated hurting. I hurt so much, too. So I got these two things, right? There's these few things. I'm like, oh, I actually like these things about myself. And there's like, oh, these things, uh, these character defects, if you will, that I don't really like about myself. So, you know, you work on those things little by little. You know, how do you deal with the fact that you never feel like it's enough? You know, you start by learning to figure out, wow, I actually accomplished something. Going back to ergo, if I wish I would have learned four years ago today, that um, if making your bed would maybe help a little bit, and that maybe I would have understood that. I would have tried it a little harder. Could have avoided a fight or two. What else do you do, though? You know, you meditate, right? You try to become present in the moment. Sorry, I can't really speak tonight. I apologize. But you're trying to become present in the moment, right? Try to be, no, I'm just right here right now. I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to worry about my past actions. I need to own where I'm at right now. And, you know, I think mindfulness will definitely be a topic episode at some point in the future because I'm a big believer of that general principle and everything like that. So, you know, do those little steps, right? Learn how to love myself. What is it like to love myself? You know, these are all questions I had to ask myself, and I'm still asking myself in some way, shape, or form. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cured. I'm not a saint. Maybe I'm an expression of the divine, but you know, I'm no more of an expression of the divine than you or Adolf Hitler or Gandhi is. So, you know, you do the work. And what is the work? The work is staying sober, first of all, for me in my case. The second thing is trying to repair those relationships and start having some healthy social bonding, social connectivity. You know, by making amends to the people I really hurt over and by letting go of the resentments that I had held in my heart. That only being accountable again was super important. Learning how to be accountable again first to my sober living, then to my job, and then to myself. That was the sense of self-gratification that came with that of like, wow, I'm actually kind of turning into a decent member of society. Then from that, it's where you get these concepts of emotional sobriety, emotional recovery. One of the biggest things that frustrated me was like, I didn't understand how to feel. I didn't know how to process my emotions. I was just, I don't know, I'm angry. I'm just sad today. And that was it. It was the surface level description of what really was. Where I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what that one really so after you know years and years of working on myself and trying to become a little bit more of a decent person and trying to understand who I am it's getting to the point where I'm able to be like I'm frustrated a perfect example is I recently um, went through a separation with one of my partners 
Oh, not one of my partners, my partner. I'm not a player, I wish I could be. No, I don't really wish I could be, that's a joke. But me and my partner recently separated, and it was really because of a certain, you know, un things I couldn't control. Luckily enough, I was able to be present and supportive of them when they were really going through some um, emotional and mental struggles. Um, but le ultimately, it led to um, our separation. And no resentments, no hate, no harm. First, I, again, I consider it my first healthy relationship in sobriety. Probably, which means my first healthy relationship ever. And I was able to pinpoint what I was feeling, actually. This is uh, four years ago. I would be like, I'm just fucking pissed off. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sad we're not together anymore. But now I'm able to p understand that I, by looking at myself and by seeing from a third person perspective and by experiencing myself all through life of why I react in certain ways and understanding my own individual cycles of behaviors and all that stuff. So during this breakup, I was able. I've been frustrated. We've been we've been separated for about a week now, and for the past seven days, I have been frustrated every single day that I do not have the ability to cure someone of mental illness. That I don't have the ability to give them magical fruit like like this God gift pear or something like that, and just cure someone of any pain or suffering or emotional distress that they're going through that frustrates me and I get really riled up about that but you know I don't have the control over someone's life and I shouldn't I don't want it I'm a fixer though so I want to be like you're okay now be okay but that's not who I, I can't do that and I have to let go of that and I have to learn to trust in my you know higher power that it was for the right thing I have to trust the universe that will all work out. I don't know if it'll fucking work out. I don't know if they're going to be okay. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. But I got to have trust that I will be okay. I can at least take the next step forward. And I'm able to understand why I'm frustrated now. Like I said, that whole emotional intelligence that comes with this concept of emotional sobriety. Again, when I'm just going back to that whole trusting that it's going to be okay. I hurt. I'm hurting right now, to be completely honest with you. I've been hurting for a little bit now, too. But even through the hurt of a separation of losing someone you love, I have been able to have this kind of weird sense of calm, you know, kind of going in the back of my head, usually where my intrusive thoughts actually like to live. You know, I, I, I like to name my intrusive thoughts. I have one called Jermaine. Um, it's really helped humanize and, you know, kind of let go of the not having any power over my intrusive thoughts and giving them all the power by really naming them and humanizing them. Good tactic. I think I talked about it last week. Highly recommend it. Um, but I, and this, it's like the back of my head, you know, kind of where the neck meets the skull on the right side. I have this sense of just peace and calm and time to think about the hurt that I have of this separation. And that's what recovery has given me. For something that I have been in the past been able to emotionally process and that would lead me to self-destructive behaviors. Don't get me wrong, I went and did a few at-risk behaviors, you know, for this past week. But nothing of the same magnitude in my active addiction. I'm still human after all, whether I like to admit it or not. But I, even through this sense of pain, my heart just hurts. It's dropped. It feels hollow. It feels like, well, I don't want to have to try and connect with someone again. I just want my partner. I want her to be okay. I want her to be healthy. But I don't have that control. She needs to worry about herself. And she needs to become better on her own. 
So this pain, this suffering, this wanting to go back to isolation, I'm not afforded that. I don't. I have so many friends and family who support and love me now, so I, I can't feel alone anymore, which is frustrating too. I have this sense of calm and peace that's going to be okay, that I'm going to be able to take my next step forward because I'm working this program of recovery, because I'm working a life, because I'm working a spiritual life and all of my principles and all my fears. I'm trying to be rigorously honest to the best of my ability and all these different things, you know, being honest with myself, being honest with the world around me and being at peace with myself and being understanding that I am going to be okay. That same feeling that meth used to give me every time I shot up, that feeling that it was just okay. That this is it and I'm fine. Recovery has given me that. In this back of my head, I have found in myself what I was searching for all that time. And it's the most beautiful thing I can imagine. Thank you for listening to the Descent into Illumination podcast. Feel free to email me at thedescentinto at gmail.com. Please follow me on Twitter at intothedescent. Thank you very much again for listening. Please remember that you are loved. You are not alone and that you are worth it.